Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm the host, Emily Trenum. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM. And this week, I'm pleased to welcome Angela Barksdale and Roy Barnes, who are with the, on the board of Coliseum Coalition here. And this is the second in my series of endangered structures. I did one a couple weeks ago on Baron Hurst Synagogue on Valentine, and that's pretty different from the Coliseum, and I actually think it's probably a lot more endangered than the Coliseum is, but the purpose of this series is just to call attention to some important structures in the history of Memphis so people are aware of them and know how important it is that we get them preserved. So along those lines, well, we'll welcome Roy, welcome Angela. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So uh, let's start off by just, I'm not from Memphis and I came to Memphis kind of at the, I know I've been to the Coliseum for, to register to vote or not to register to vote, you know, you go there for jury duty registration and um, and probably a concert. I think I saw Bill Cosby there actually towards the end of its, towards the end of its tenure. Anyway, I'm not from Memphis, so what are both of you remind us about why the Coliseum is so important and to people and to the community? The Coliseum has a history of memories for so many people under so many different events. You had graduations, you had uh, concerts, you had wrestling, you had sports. And during that time that it's it was open, it allowed, from a black perspective, blacks the opportunity to be in situations like that, where we could go to concerts or we could be comfortable where, where we were. And it was close to home for us in the Orange Mound community. It's within, really within, for some people, within walking distance. Yes, it was in walking distance, and it was also a place of employment for a lot of people from Orange Mound. So, Roy, you were telling me earlier that it was the first building that was intentionally built for that both African Americans and whites could use. Right. It was designed from the very beginning, designed for integration, no separate entrances or anything like that. It was possibly snuck in by the designers who were, I think, uh, the folks who were putting the master plan for the fairgrounds at that time, snuck in and kind of got past the city leaders who were still fighting the, the, old, the old fights against uh, integration. But nevertheless, from the very moment it opened, it was designed and built for integration, and so it never had the, 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 the stigma of separation. So what year was it built? It was opened in 1964, so a couple of years before that. Okay, so really it's not, well, you see, I guess it's on the National Register of Historic Places, so it's at least 50 years old, presumably, but it's, so it's not really that old. No, no, it's, it's 50, so what is that, 57 years old. So it was, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, and sometimes that's a problem with, as you, probably with preservation, it's sometimes something is too new, it seems kind of commonplace rather than special, but I think that Coliseum is kind of emerging from that, and actually it's one of the kind of, you know, the earlier discussion, you know, we're talking about all the brands, but one of its brands is beauty. It's a cool looking, spaceship looking mid-century modern building, and uh, that is, you know, one of a kind in Memphis, for it sure. It is very cool looking. And yeah. I was reminded when he said that, I would, that this is just a memory and I'm throwing it out there. I remember I was like 10 years old and the circus came. And the circus came to the Coliseum. And everybody, and I mean everybody from the Orange Mound community, 
cross the tracks to see the circus come down southern to go into the Coliseum. And when the circus came to town back then, they had the elephants and everything got off the train tracks. and So the circus and, came on the train with all of their colorful cars and everything. And they would get off the train and walk to the Coliseum and we would cross the train tracks to see the circus come to town. That was just, I just threw that out there. That, that must have been special. Oh, wow. I mean, it was like you thought you thought Jesus Christ was coming to town because it was line, Southern would be lined up with people going to see the circus, circus coming. And then we could go in and see the circus. Well, so, and did the two of you go to have graduations there? That's what I hear. I think of, when people talk about the Coliseum, I think of people say that they had their graduations there. I graduated from, uh, what's that downtown, uh, Cook Convention Center. Yeah, the, um, what was the, uh, the one that has been torn down, Ellis Auditorium. Ellis okay. Auditorium, that's where I graduated from. But uh, all my parents, well, let me rephrase that. My aunts graduated from the Coliseum. All my aunts graduated from the Coliseum. Uh, but I graduated from Ellis, yeah. yeah. And what about um, wrestling? Was wrestling something that, uh, you know, attracted sort of a diverse audience? Yes, most definitely. And you went to wrestling when you I were a kid? I went to wrestling. Well, see, wrestling used to be at the TV station. We used to go there every Saturday morning to the TV station. Then they brought it to the Coliseum. Because if the TV station, they would film on a Saturday morning, and the studio was maybe big as these four rooms. Okay. And the ring was in the middle. Okay. And we would sit around on bleachers, and that's how they filmed it. But then it got so big, they took it to the Coliseum. Was wrestling popular in Orange Mound generally? Yes. Yes, most definitely. Everybody loved to see the wrestling. So why did the Coliseum close? It seems, did it close in, it must have closed in the 90s, because I was, I was, I moved here in the early 90s and it was still open. So did it close in the 90s? No, it, believe it or not, it closed in 2007. It closed in okay. early 2007. So it's only been closed 14 years. It seems like a million years it does. in a way. Just, but um, it's uh, 2007 uh, and um, it, officially closed the biggest strongest reason is that ADA issues there were definitely there definitely ADA compliance issues uh, that had to be uh, um, mitigated and the city opted to just close it rather than do that at that time they thought they were going to tear it down to build an even larger youth sports complex including outdoor fields and other stuff like that and so they just said why do this also the other thing is people don't realize is that the uh, Coliseum, the Pyramid, and the Forum were all operating at the same time. So we had three arenas uh, operating on the day the Coliseum closed. The Coliseum was the first to close. The Pyramid actually closed after the Coliseum. And so, it, on the, you know, it was fighting it out with, you know. So the Coliseum is considered an arena. I mean, I don't know if there's a technical term for that, but it's sort of considered in the same way as those other two facilities. Right. I think, you know, I think the, the official way it was described by its architects is a multi-purpose facility. Okay. But obviously with a strong, the focus on the arena is, you know, the biggest part of that uh, multi-purpose, the purposes that would happen were focused on what could happen in the arena. So, um, but the AD issues were real and so that's been a big focus of us, of our work. Uh, in the present, which is looking at what does it take to bring the up to ADA standards, and uh, we are even though with historic buildings you can you know uh, I don't know what you call it grandfather in some stuff with you know if it's on the National Register which the Coliseum is, but it's been a goal of ours from the very beginning to not cut corners on that to actually have the building fully compliant with the ADA standards, and we think it can be done economically and uh, it's very surmountable. Okay, well, sure. Obviously, you want it to be open to everybody. Absolutely. So you say we. Um, so let's talk about the Coliseum Coalition. The Coliseum Coalition has done a lot to, and I don't know how, did that work? Did your little group, I say little, and I don't mean to. Sure, I understand. I guess I think about it as sort of a grassroots, a it, powerful it grassroots is. voice. It is, absolutely. Um, and, um, but when was that formed? 
Uh, it was formed in 2015 when okay. there was still on the table a, uh, a plan to demolish, and we came together and uh, said, well, you know, just kind of you know brainstorming, and I, uh, what we came up with was the first the first act, if you will, was a pre-vitalization, a kind of an activation of the space. We could not go into the building, so we chose to be on its front porch, which is this beautiful concrete modernist uh, front porch that is, you know, much like the rest of the building. It's been very robust through a time of lack of maintenance and everything else. And we did it in the front porch and in the early Maxwell in the street, uh, which is the street that goes in front of the Coliseum. And we had a day There's of rest. several events like that, right? Right. I know I've been to some of them. Some of them have had wrestlers and, of course, music and, um, yeah, I have admired. I mean, to me, that seems like, I won't say it seems like a hopeless cause because obviously it isn't, but sometimes causes seem so overwhelming that it's hard to, to say, oh, do I really want to take this on? So I admire the work of the coalition and these activating and now you do tours. I know there's been cleanups and not right. just putting out a table and giving out brochures, actually hauling stuff out of the right. building. Right. So the tours are, uh, we've done over a hundred tours. They're what we call VIP. So it's, uh, they're not public tours, but they're tours for people who potentially, or, or groups who could potentially invest in the Coliseum, either for in a nonprofit or profitable way, uh, for potential users of the Coliseum. So, you know, you know, Part of the thing is to figure out what uses could be put the Coliseum could be put to, even if it's, they're not necessarily going to be the investors. And the final group is influencers, what we call influencers, which is part of the problem. What we, you know, one of the problems we've had with the Coliseum is it had, I guess, if it closed in uh, 2007, and we had like eight years of bad press and kind of changing the narrative of a possibility of, or even, do we really want to do this? And I've been. It's it's been a journey for me because uh, when I started, when actually not when I started, but ten or so years ago, a little bit longer than that, I was very much in the group of, of the camp that said, "Well, if they replace it with something else, I'm okay with it. Something good, I'm okay with it." And but it was two things. One is nothing that was ever proposed was that good, and the other one was. Uh, I just kind of uh, was over at Tiger Lane, which was built after the Coliseum closed, and I was there with my son, and I just happened to look over from the fountains there, and I looked at the Coliseum, and I said, wow, this is the first time I ever thought, that's a beautiful building. It is beautiful, yeah. and um, and there's nothing else like it, certainly, around here. Right. But for me, the going, you know, so the journey since we started was, you know, it's a beautiful building that we shouldn't tear down, but now it's like, I've, you know, part of this, this discovery was just what this building meant to the community. You know, finding out that this was the first building designed and built for integration. Um, and the, the way in which community came together in so many different ways. One of the groups that we've had tour recently were uh, um, the group that is celebrating the, uh, the 30th anniversary of the People's Convention that happened at the Coliseum where uh, people came together, and citizens came together and nominated our first black mayor who ended up uh, winning M Mayor Willie Harrington. Who eventually went on to want to tear the thing right, down. Right, right. Well, it, I think it's, you know, it's that's fine. It's just, you know, it's, uh, like I said, I think there's a certain amount of, it's, oh, that's nothing special. And I think that he was probably in that camp. And I, well, I was in that camp, I frankly. think in his defense, what he was going with was the position of the people at that time. You say, let's do something different. We got a black mayor, let's do something big. Let's spend some money, let's do something different. Well, and I think he... Um, he was about progression. He was about, and he was, he was about, yes, I think, and getting rid of old and replacing, replacing with, new. It with something new. And I think about he really led the effort to, you know, start tearing down the public housing and putting in the new. Correct. And which, you know, you can say what you want about those. I think that was a successful effort, um, although there's nuance there. We don't have time to go into, but the, I agree about, about him. So the, um, so, so kind of, you're still doing chores. So it's been, a, I feel like there's been a million ideas floated over the years, like a wrestling museum and, um, I think didn't Wiseacre talk about going in there for you know a brewery and a brew pub? It's been a right. lot of ideas floated, right. and um, 
so what's the, co the Coliseum Coalition, what's your proposal for what you think is the best and most feasible use? I would like to see it used as a multi-purpose complex. Uh, that way it's open to events, it's open to uh, anything under 5,000 seating. And I think that there's a potential for so many things to happen with that. So that's my personal, what I'd like to see happen. So how many seats are in there now? 9,100 fixed seats. You know, some have been removed for other reasons, but uh, that was what it was officially built with in 1960, it opened with in 1964. And what's the back of the envelope cost to turn it into some kind of a multi-use facility if, you, if there is such a thing? Uh, so um, we, we uh, did an assessment, a physical assessment of the building in uh, 2016, the first time the city let us in to kind of take a look and try to figure these things out. Um, and it was led by our uh, vice president, architect Chooch Pickard, and he brought in an interdisciplinary team and looked at it. And their original estimate of what it would take to bring it up to what we call version one Levitt shell quality, uh, which is beloved by uh, citizens and beloved by artists, but doesn't have all the bells and whistles necessarily, was $25 million. That's what we thought. That was a, you know, what is it, five year old estimate, so, you know, do your inflation and other stuff, but nevertheless, that was the original. The city, when they were pr preparing to do Liberty Park, they did their own kind of assessment, and they came up with something 40 million, but that was more of a gold-plated, uh, more stuff that, you know, it, it is not a conflicting A premium yeah. right out of the gate. Yeah, so it okay. was, yeah, so it was nothing that we couldn't have done, but it wasn't stuff that we considered absolutely essential to reopening it. So I have a couple more questions about that, but if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR, and I'm talking to Angela Barksdale and Roy Barnes from the Coliseum Coalition, and we're talking about the Mid-South Coliseum. So what are, I mean, would it be graduations again and concerts, and is wrestling still a thing? I mean, would it have wrestling? I mean, you don't know, obviously, yeah. but how do you envision sure it? If it was opened again, wrestling would be one of the prime events under the sports category, you could have high school basketball, you could have uh, tournaments, I mean, just just something to throw out there. I think I'm saying it right, is it Collierville or Cordova High School that is hosting the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament? It's Collierville. Oh, Collierville. Okay. That's a okay. high school facility right. that's hosting an NCAA Women's Tournament. Okay. So you got this Coliseum sitting there that could do the same thing, but it's at a high school, and this is in Collierville, so Memphis, wake up. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, that seems, I mean, that seems reasonable to me that it would be flexible, and maybe you could have some regular sources of revenue, whether it's you know, a flea market that's coming in once a month or things that are generating right. revenue. Maybe the, you know, you'd go there to register for jury duty again. If you fix it, they will come. I think it's that simple. If you fix it, they will come. I mean, events will come out the woodwork if they fix it. Right. I think so too. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of support for it in the community. Right. So that's a good word because that's actually something when it, reopens we really want to emphasize it was it was always there but it was you know I don't think we we're ever that explicit with it but it just the, the it's it's creation as an integrated facility design and creation as an integrated facility and just all those things community is the is the you know the glue that held it together and I think one of the reasons why it is beloved it is not you know those stories you know are why people those they matter so much to people because there was a community like I would argue no other building in the history of Memphis has uh, has done and uh, you know has brought together, and so um, I think w we would like to see even stronger emphasis on this being a community space, a great indoor public space for the community. So I know that the Liberty Park plan uh, doesn't include the redevelopment of the Coliseum, at least initially. I just saw in the news that the the state's approved the 
the funding for that, which is going to be from basically sales tax revenues from future uses of the Liberty Park is going to is going to help fund some of the improvements, and it's going to be a you know a, a giant youth sports complex with a variety of buildings. And so, if that's um, you know if that's very successful, you know there's a going to be a retail component. I think if that's very successful and actually generating sales taxes, and I guess the boundaries of that, not to get too much into the weeds, but I guess the boundaries of that tourist development zone encompass things. Uh, other parts of Midtown that would presumably generate some sales, some more sales taxes. If that's successful, do you think that would free up some money to uh, down the road redevelop the Coliseum? Uh, yes, absolutely. There is in uh, the Coliseum is actually officially because it's in the text officially in phase three of the um, pr prior to Liberty Park. Liberty Park's just come out in the past year as a brand, but in the TDZ application, Tourism Development Zone application to the state. The Coliseum is in phase three, and uh, the caveat is that it's, if money is generated by the Tourism Development Zone at such level, then some of that will go to the Coliseum. Right. you gotta, uh, they got to pay back the bonds first, which they're going right. to issue to pay for it. But, um, I mean, some of these, I think this, I don't know about the downtown Tourist Development Zone, but some of these, you know, tax increment financing districts where basically are, you know, a real estate tax version of that. Some of them in Memphis have generated a lot of money. Right. So in, in theory, if this thing is really successful, people come from all over to bring their, their little um, offspring mm -hmm. to play in all these different tournaments, then, um, then presumably it could be. So how would the Coliseum fit into that sort of use and purpose as a youth yeah as a youth development, a youth sports complex. It goes back to community. It goes back to community. It could be utilized for community events, uh, community tournaments, because I guarantee you that with what they're gonna do at Liberty City, is not gonna reach every community. Elaborate on that. I think it's gonna be, okay, initially when I went to the focus group or whatever you call it where they have the investors come in and show you uh, the designers come in and show you what they could see here and what they can do here and these people were not from Memphis that did this research and they had this big board of what all was going to go there and I'm looking at stuff that does not address my community I'm looking at um what do you call it when the kids drive the little cars? That would be great. A driving cart, right? Go cart. That would be great. Oh, go cards. Go carts. Okay. Then they had soccer. They had uh, skateboard. They had. Now, mind you, in the black community, I'm not saying this is not something we can do, but this is not something we're accustomed to doing. So I think that would be a good thing to allow us to be able to learn to do these type things. But these uh, ideas that they had were more catered to a white audience for Liberty City. And that caused questions to me because I'm like, okay, these people are not from Memphis and they're gonna come to Memphis and tell us what we need when they're not familiar with the surroundings. So the Coliseum could be, it could fill in the gap to where Liberty City is not. Yeah, that makes sense. Plus these, I think these, um, you know, a lot of these people that come to this facility with their families are gonna be traveling from elsewhere right. in Tennessee and probably not necessarily representative of the local community either. So if, 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 if it's not perceived, if this new facility is great and makes, generates a lot of taxes, but it's not perceived to serve people in Orange Mound, which is which can walk, then maybe that'll be a little extra pressure. Well, I'm, not, I'm not just limited, limiting it to Orange Mound. You look at it like what you just said. You got people that are coming in for all these big sports events. Now, I guarantee you that all these big sports events that they're coming in from out of town to see their babies play, Liberty City. What about the community events, the community tournaments? 
they're going to have a problem booking events. I guarantee you. You mean local, local events are going to lo have trouble booking? Local you. events are going to have problems booking because these high-dollar events are going to take place. So therein lies the opportunity for the Coliseum to be able to come in and fill that gap. Okay. Plus, a, just a, I mean, when you think about a lot of the tangential activities, I mean, award ceremonies or... Um, church events. Church events. But I was thinking things that are uh, side, side to the, you know, things related to the, the sports, but not necessarily right. sports itself. Right. Well, uh, absolutely, there would be that. And then uh, potentially even with the sports where it'd be a championship venue, if for the larger tournaments because you know you potentially have thousands of I would think almost every tournament we'd have thousands and thousands of people families and everything else coming in and for the big event you know um, you know you'd probably want maybe a, a bigger and more you need a bigger and more prestigious so uh, a venue for that point you know to be playing on the Larry uh, Finch center court if you will but um, so, and I think the, it goes both ways. The Coliseum can provide an amenity of other ways for people visiting from out of town. And then the Coliseum, of course, could potentially be used, have, get uses from the youth sports. So I think it's a synergy. And I think it's just kind of making that, figuring out how to make that happen. Well, we didn't talk about the Liberty Bowl at all. Um, I've never even been to the Liberty Bowl. I'm not a, a football fan. So is, are, was is there any was there ever any relationship between Liberty Bowl and Coliseum? Was there? Um... I don't think ever. I this is not positive, but I it was part of that master plan I mentioned earlier that Liberty Bowl is, um, believe it or not, is uh, the Coliseum's little sister. It opened the year after uh, the Coliseum did, so there was an idea that this would be this you know the fairgrounds would be this you know place where people came for all this stuff. However. I don't think they've ever, we've really, as a city, even, you know, 50 years or even the, during the Coliseum's first uh, first run, that we ever really put the, all these together and to make this into this integrated festival ground that, you know, could be, you know, very special, very special in the world, actually, including the U Sports Center and how that would fit Right. In. And Angela, when we talked earlier, weren't you talking about all the, that if it reopened as a multi-use facility, um, some of the Southern Heritage Classics, some of their side events could take place at the Coliseum? Well, look at the uh, Southern Heritage Classic event is one of, one of uh, the largest events that brings money to Memphis every year. And you have the tailgating, you have the game all at Liberty Bowl. But when he has the concerts, they go to Mississippi. So that funding goes to Mississippi. Now, one while, I remember they had the Southern Heritage Classic. One year they had the Southern Heritage Classic. They had the fair. And they had the tailgating all at the same time. And you're talking about a sellout but then now the Southern Heritage Class comes here, they have the tailgating, they have the game, but then they have to go to Landers Center for concerts where they could just go straight over to the Coliseum. Yeah, plus it seems like there's a lot of other little events like like the fashion shows and yeah. brunches and a yeah. lot of that stuff could mm -hmm. happen. Okay, yeah. well I'm sold yeah. um, on not that I needed to be, but on the need to redevelop and the, and the and the potential for it to be very successful so um i'll post the in the show notes for the podcast version i will you know post your the coliseum coalition website and um but what i mean how can people get involved in finding out more about your work and what's going on just sort of stay up to date on what's happening with the co with the coliseum uh, uh, first thing is if you feel like getting into it's not really that much weeds it's only four pages and that may be more weeds than most people want to uh, well I walk love into. the weeds yeah yeah so but four pages isn't too bad but it's it's a hyperlink document so you can get to anywhere all of our research uh, about the Coliseum over the years uh, actually it's not just our research it's other it, it's probably the 
ultimate bibliography of Coliseum related data, but including our research and our again we're we're focused on the future. We are talk we're looking at hard facts about how this how the Coliseum would relate to what is here on the ground now and in the future. So ColiseumCoalition.org forward slash exec, which you'll hopefully be able to, be able to put in the uh, the notes, but. Uh, and then um, follow us on Facebook, Coliseum Coalition. We have a group as well as a page. Our page is more kind of our official announcement of what's going on. Uh, we're on Twitter, Coliseum Forever, and we're on Instagram, I believe Coliseum Forever, but that's kind of thing. And then the other thing is just watch out for us. And, um, you know, we're gonna be, we've been out of, uh, like the rest of the world, out of, uh, not out in public for the past year and so uh, several months and so we're going to start getting out there again. Well, I was going to ask if you had any activation type events coming up. Well, our we we've done three roundhouse revivals, which right. are activation events where they've been outside. Our next one, we're kind of committed to being inside. Okay. There are issues that we've got to get ironed out. Uh, one of them is and we don't like to, you know, we don't we don't like to BS here at the Coliseum. We like to say what's really real. It's got air quality issues in the building. There are some contaminants, which you're, every home in Memphis would have if you turned off the air conditioning for 14 years. Right. It probably even less than that. So we have to we have to do that. You don't have to necessarily clean the whole building to let people in for part of it, potentially. So we're looking at various options how to do that. But we want to be inside, even if it's in the front, the beautiful front mid-century modern uh, lobby and then possibly waver people in for a, a, a short visit into the okay. arena. Okay, so be sort of could be outside and then with an inside tour component. Right. Also, currently we have the mural project that is underway, uh, and we uh, con contracted Nisa and Theo Williams. Theo Williams, who did some work at Sears Crosstown to do murals that will be displayed on the outside of the Coliseum, reflecting the past and the history and hopefully the future of what has happened in the Coliseum. Okay, so some of that will get, help get people excited yes. about. So some of these things we talked about, wrestling music, are, will be depicted. Right, it's... Uh, jury duty. Yeah, Jury yeah. duty. Well, it's really... Moment. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's a, obviously, I mean, you, we, if you were to depict what happened at the Coliseum, it'd be like the Sistine Chapel. So you, you really have to kind of like narrow it down, right. you know, the, the um, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. But, you know, so you have to narrow it down. So we took kind of what we call uh, parad, parad uh, you know. Uh, like highlights. Highlights of specific individuals. And for the future stuff, we're actually focused on, you know, these are not people who necessarily, you know, are, you know, they they're based on real people, but it's about the future. Okay. And so the, it's it's a little bit about the Coliseum is a building of the future, and so we're we're not just going to be about the past. Okay, that's great. Well, I've been talking to Angela Barksdale and Roy Barnes from the Coliseum Coalition. So thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome to part two of Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I should say part two of the show about the Mid-South Coliseum, part of my newly launched Endangered Structure series. And for this part of the show, I'm joined by regular commentator Cole Bradley, who is the editor of High Ground News and a frequent guest on Memphis Metropolis and a lover of all things neighborhoods, like I am. So welcome back, Cole. Thanks, Emily. Glad to be back. And I love the idea of this new series, by the way. I love this. Well, send me some ideas. I mean, the I mean, the first one was Baron Hirsch Synagogue, and which I actually think is is pretty endangered just because it's so damn big. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to figure out how to reuse it. Have you uh, you know, of course I'm digressing 
and I, we haven't even really gotten into the conversation, but have you noticed, <laughs> but, but have you noticed that, you know, whenever you talk to people, you know, about structures, they would like, how they would like to see them repurposed, people always say, you know, something like Crosstown Concourse, that would be great here. And I'm always like, well, (laughs) yes, that would be great. But I mean, that was, you know, a national model for combining funding sources and it cost a gazillion dollars. And I love Crosstown Concourse. So wasn't a perfect project, but I love it. And of course, I would love to see that replicated on Valentine or on summer. And, um, but it's just people love it so much that they want to see that kind of dynamic arts-based project in their own neighborhoods. So. Yeah, absolutely. Because of course they would. It's great. But you know, like you, do you have Crosstown God course money? Because no. that's expensive. Well, well, yeah. and it's, it's, I don't know if that came up in my interview. So I, on my first half of the show, I had Angela Barksdale and Roy Barnes who are on the board of directors of the Coliseum Coalition that's been working for the past several years to elevate the awareness of the Coliseum in Memphis and to push for its redevelopment. And I don't know if that came up, uh, if Crosstown came up per se, but for sure the Coliseum is a structure that people would love to, you know, lends itself to a mixed use. I guess that's overused uh, now, but a mixed use facility where you could have not housing, but you could have a variety of public and private uses. But I wanted to start out by asking about, you know, your relationship with the Coliseum. Do you have any, um, I said at the, at the top of the show that, you know, I'm not from here. And of course I love the building, but I don't have really any memories, but people, Coliseum is just a is a building that means a lot to a lot of Memphians. And so I thought you might have some memories or some reflections about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've lived here my whole life. uh, And so, of course, you know, the Coliseum, as a kid, the Coliseum was always an adventure because you were always going to something so cool that you rarely or never had seen before. You know, the circus was a big one. Um, we did a lot of redneck stuff. So like I went to monster truck rallies and bull riding. Oh, wow. The bull rodeo. They had a rodeo at the Coliseum. That was pretty interesting. It was always really cool to me too, because the floor would change. River Kings games were held there. So I went to hockey games with my uncle. And so to see the floor go from ice to dirt for a rodeo to, you know, a basketball court. I graduated high school in the Coliseum. And that was always so fast. I never quite understood, like, how do they get the ice on top of the dirt, on top of the the circus floor, you know? (laughs) That's great. But yeah, I mean, it was, the Coliseum was a place of magic as a child. I saw crisscross there, the dynamic 1990s uh, child rap duo. Yeah. I wanted to wear my backwards overall so bad. And my mom would not let me go, let me wear them, but she at least let me go to the concerts. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. Like every Memphian, I loved the Coliseum. I still love the Coliseum. And I had, you know, the the pleasure and the, I mean, it just joy to get to tour it not too long ago as part of the Coliseum Coalition, um, did a couple of media days, and they also did some volunteer cleanup days where they had some folks coming in and helping to clean up the main arena floor and some of the main areas around the arena, main walkway areas. And gosh, to see it now, like, even though it's closed, even though they're are you know, there's storage the city of Memphis has used it as storage for a long time so there's stuff on the floor the arena floor that's storage even you know with the lights off it's just still magic that place is magical it's very cool well I'm sort of I've only been in there a few times I went on one of those same tours but it doesn't seem like it would be big enough for monster truck rallies Oh, but it was, I don't know how, I I mean, as a kid, that place seemed huge, you know, uh, now going in it now and especially seeing it empty, it does seem much smaller, but no, I mean, I don't know how they did it. And rodeo, the rodeo was really interesting. This big arena floor, um, didn't, wouldn't seem big enough for that to me now either. Yeah, that's great. Rodeo. And then, crisscross 
<laughs> Rodeo and crisscross. I really feel like that's a, a comment on the new South, right? Um, the modern South is rodeo, urban South is rodeo and crisscross. And did you know that it was the first sort of facility of that kind that was intentionally designed for an integrated audience? I did know that. I did know that, Um, which is interesting because the year that it opened, it opened in 74 or 64 rather. And that was the year that the Fair Housing Act was passed, one of the two Fair Housing Acts. And uh, it started sort of desegregating most public spaces. But, you know, the designers of the Coliseum already had that in the works. It just so happened to coincide with the year that it probably would have been required to be redesigned towards integration. But they didn't have to redesign it. It was ready to go. So the Coliseum Coalition, I, I want to say I'm a believer in lost causes, I don't think I would have had the vision to take that on and stick with it. I mean, it's a massive undertaking in a in a very real, literal way. That building is huge. It's an arena. And, you know, I was really surprised, though, growing up here, having been in it, and then knowing when it got closed down – and what you heard about it after its closure was that it was because the building was in really bad shape. And that's just not true. The building definitely needs upgrades and it needs, you know, there's air quality issues and some other things. But like, it's not as big of an undertaking as you, as I was believed from what I heard after its closure. The biggest issue is ADA compliance. Um and then beyond that, there are some basic repairs. But I remember for years the the sort of running line, well, oh, the roof, you know, the roof, the roof is – and then you realize you go and you talk to these Coliseum Coalition folks, the roof's fine. Some of the flat areas of roof are not uh, in the best of shape, but that domed roof is – it's in beautiful shape. And so just to, for me to realize after all these years of thinking that it was, oh, it's just completely unsalvageable – to realize after talking to these folks for, you know, an hour or two that, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time and effort, but it's not beyond hope at all. Well, the Liberty Bowl has or had ADA compliance issues, which I believe were rectified, but it sounds like part of what happened with the Coliseum is that at some point the city just had too many arenas to manage and this was the easy one to close because it needed to be retrofitted and all of that. Yeah. It was the oldest. Yeah. It was the oldest and the smallest. <laughs> um, yeah. So why not close it? I mean, you don't need for a, a city, the size of Memphis, we, we need one, <laughs> you know, you don't need three. Um, well, anyway, I really admire the work they're doing and you know, all their great creative ideas. So I meant to ask you, actually, did you, did you ever go to wrestling? You know, I remember going to wrestling like once as a kid. I wish that my family had been bigger into it. It's funny. I'm more into it now. I have a lot of friends, you know, people. Yes, Memphis wrestling was, I would say, certainly experiencing a heyday in the 80s, the 70s, 80s and 90s. But there are a lot of people today now that like wrestling. I know a ton of people, black, white, men, women, it doesn't matter, who just are really into wrestling, you know? And I think that I wish I had been more into it then. I'm glad I'm into it now. And I would love to see wrestling come back to the Coliseum. That would be so cool. It would be cool. Well, hopefully that'll happen. When the Roundhouse revivals have been just really fun, fun events and being involved with the Memphis Comedy Festival, I sit on the board of the Memphis Comedy Festival, which is, funny enough, a nonprofit. Um, and the comics, a lot of the comics are involved in that and will do hosting and stuff. I have done hosting. And the comics are really big into wrestling. There's a lot of overlap there. And so to see them get so stoked and just who all winds up coming together, I guess, is my point for these roundhouse revivals, who you see behind the scenes and then who you see in the audience. It really is such a cool cross section of Memphis that I really think it proves the case that they're trying to prove that the coalition is trying to prove that 
you know, if you if you build it, if you fix it, and if you if you activate it, people will come, and lots of people of many different ilks will come. This is a resource, I think, for not just tourists, uh, but the city. I agree, and that Angela Barksdale made that point that if you build it, they will come, and I do think there's some truth to that. And I'm and I want to talk a little bit more about Liberty Park in a minute, but I'm you know, was very happy that at least the Coliseum is in that plan. It's farther down the road. But for a long time, I think it was just on the um, cutting room floor, as it were, you assume that eventually it would get torn down. And I think now there's, if there's not a commitment to funding the redevelopment, I think there's the desire to do it at some point. Um, If if you're right. Okay. I was just saying, and in a bare minimum, there's no longer a passion to destroy it. Exactly. I mean, it probably would take the right, you know, private developer combined with some public incentives. Which was the same case for Crosstown Concourse. Exactly, yes. So I wanted, um, one thing I wanted to talk about is that, you know, we talked a lot, of course, Angela Barksdale, who was on the first half of the show is, you know, is very involved with Orange Mound and very active in that community, you know, leads a couple of organizations. And, and of course there's, from the way she describes it, there's a, you know, kind of a special relationship between Orange Mound and the Coliseum, but you know, that's actually not the closest neighborhood to the Coliseum. The closest neighborhood is a neighborhood called Beltline that is the, or I guess I should say the closest neighborhood to the fairgrounds area generally is a neighborhood called Beltline, which is immediately to the east about of, of, um, of the fairgrounds area. And it's bounded by, um, I think it's, if you can imagine sort of thinking about the map in your head. So it's, it's Hollywood is on the west and then Southern on the south, central on the north, and I think it goes over maybe to Button. And it's also a very a very old, more than a hundred year old neighborhood, also historically African American. And it's a neighborhood that I would sort of say it's hiding in plain sight. And the reason is because no major arteries go through it. So, you know. Orange Mount, of course, the Orange Mount's a fairly large neighborhood, but you know, you're when you drive on Park Avenue, you are driving through Orange Mount. And in the case of the of Beltline, you are never driving through it unless you have a reason to go there. You're driving around the perimeter. And it's not unlike um Orange Mount. I would say there's a lot of small clapboard houses. It's um it's also suffers from a lot of blight. And, but I'm just calling attention to it because I like to call attention to neighborhoods that people don't necessarily know about. Yeah. It's funny because when we were talking a little ahead of the show, you mentioned Beltline. I was like, you know, Emily, I'm not really familiar with Beltline. Now that you tell me where it's at, I've had a couple of friends who have lived in Beltline. So I know exactly where you're talking about. My my goddaughter lived there for a minute. And so yeah, I know exactly where you're talking about, but I wouldn't, I didn't know that it had a distinct name or rather that that was Beltline. I'd heard the name, hadn't associated with the place, but you're right. I mean, it's largely residential um, and feels very much sandwiched between, or just, it's easy for that area to get lost between University District, Orange Mountain, for sure. And and I think it's it's you know if, if probably some people would consider it to be in the larger University District, but some of the main streets are like Boston is a major, and that's a street that a lot of children walk on to walk to school. I think um, people go, they go to school south of the railroad tracks uh, in Orange Mountain, Hanley, and Marianne is another street in there. There's actually a Beltline Street, and the neighborhood is small. And it is mostly, yeah. there's, a, there's a CDC there called Jacob's Ladder, and I don't know if you've had an opportunity, but they've done some housing redevelopment, some social services, opened a couple little youth centers. So they're, but I think creating awareness of the neighborhood is a challenge for the reasons I mentioned. And the to the extent there's any commercial activity in that neighborhood, it's all along Hollywood. In fact, when I saw that the um, that the 
city was acquiring the Coke plant. Like that was the, that's the major anchor in that neighborhood. There's some other businesses along there and employers, but Coke was, was or is the biggie. And even though it's on the perimeter of the neighborhood, I still feel like that's going to be felt, especially if it sounds like the city's plans for it, a lot of it are parking. Yeah. And, you know, so talking, going back to the, to the fairground, what we call currently the fairgrounds and the Coliseum as, as far as being a, a neighborhood asset, right? So there's a difference between being a community asset and a city asset and a tourism asset and being a neighborhood asset. And we talk a lot about this when we talk about parks, you know, like you can't have the same conversation about a neighborhood park that you have about a feeder park like Overton or Tom Lee. Those are not, um, those are not neighborhood parks. And so, but in this case, the Coliseum and the fairgrounds have an opportunity to serve as a neighborhood space, as well as all of these greater city and even tourism functions, et cetera. Some of the things that I've heard uh, during conversations with the Coliseum Coalition and you know other plans, et cetera, have been like adding a splash park, uh, adding a walking trails and biking trails all through there, adding small retail space into the Coliseum that could serve as retail space that serves that community. Uh, that's in walking distance to Beltline, uh, a museum, putting a museum that's dedicated to the Coliseum. So cultural assets like that, things that would enrich Beltline as a community uh, that weren't geared at all towards tourists, but they could also benefit them too. But it was really geared and considered more as direct neighborhood assets, particularly park, green space, outdoor public space, but also the shopping element, the retail element. Well, and I hope also they'll be enhanced um you know, streetscape improvements or connectivity to make it more welcoming. I mean, there are bike lanes on Southern. That was some of the first bike lanes we had in our city. So in theory, it's not that big a deal to travel between Orange Mound and Beltline, but it's probably not all that inviting. And you pr- so you probably don't really realize how close it is. We all know what that's like. You don't really realize. You never think to walk somewhere because there's not really a sidewalk. So you never really realize a lot of times how close things are until the um, until there's enhancements, wayfinding. So I think that would be great. And But it, we talked a little bit about that. Angela brought that up um, in, in the discussion in that, you know, the stated intention of the you know, the youth sports complex is to make it available to community members, but that, um, but that, that's gotta be, that certainly, I don't question the intent at all of the leaders of the project, but that's gotta be not just something they say they're going to do. There needs to be intentionality behind making sure that it, this, this beautiful new shiny complex doesn't just serve uh, the very important tourists, but also serves people who live nearby. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can definitely see that that local groups might get pushed out for high dollar events, large tournaments that can pay a lot of money, et cetera. I could definitely see smaller groups getting pushed out for something like that, where, you know, you had practice space, but you get bumped and then your practice space isn't consistent or whatever. And so, yeah, there's got to be intentionality behind it. And then again, I think there really should be intentional consideration about public space that is neighborhood type asset. You know, there's a dog park that's already right over in that little area, general area. It's not on the fairgrounds, but it's near there, you know, adding a park, adding some nice meandering things with trees and benches and whatnot would go a long ways towards it being a civic asset for everyone. So it sounds like what you're saying is not just, not just amenities that the community can use in addition to everybody else. I mean, the the, the immediate neighbors, but uh, amenities that are designed specifically for with and for immediate neighborhoods. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, great thing about the fairgrounds is it's huge. There's plenty of space for, for that. sure. There's plenty of space to work in some basic assets. And honestly, tourists like that too. Tourists like a park that they can go take their kids to and it's free, you know? 
Um, but also there's downtime. If you're like, if you're coming yeah. and bringing your kids to a tournament, there's going to be downtime. That splash pad might be pretty. You might be needing to kill some time on a hot day. <laughs> exactly. And a splash pad is, you know, a, the kid's version of a great equalizer, yeah. right? It's free. It's fun. And nobody cares where you came from or where you're going afterwards. You're just there to have fun in the or moment. Or what you're wearing because you're getting wet. Or what you're wearing. Yeah. As long as you can get wet in it, you have fun, kids. Um, so, yeah. so the last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, Cole, is a subject that you and I have discussed a number of times, which is the, you know, the renaming and rebranding of things in Memphis. It's not just this is not just a Memphis thing at all. I think this happens in every city, but I know you share my contempt. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> for renaming things, um, you know, from you know Greenlaw Manassas to Uptown, and um, and I and I'm I'm you know have a lot of friends in the real estate industry, and I know why those things are done, and you know, to, sometimes to change the stigma, I completely get that, and um, and I sort of initially felt that way about this Liberty Park. Um, and it was like, what, why are you renaming? Um, the, the funny thing is I don't really have that same connection to pig palace. People have, people really have their panties in a wad about the renaming, yeah. renaming of pig palace. I personally don't, I guess because it's not really in my neighborhood wheelhouse. Um, but anyway, that aside from that, the, um, so initially it was just like, oh, give me a break, another rebranding of, of, of a historic name. But then I got to thinking, and I've got a lot of old Memphis postcards, including some of the fairgrounds. And it, for a while it was the Stri Tri-State Fairgrounds, and it was the Mid-South Fairgrounds. And I was thinking, mm -hmm. you know, the fair isn't even there anymore. That's a little bit of a confusing name. Exactly. So, so what do you think about that whole, I mean, setting aside the fact that Liberty Park is kind of a generic name, but what do you think about that whole rebranding? Yeah. Are you okay with it? Like I think I am, or are you just like, no way? You know, honestly, I think when, when you set out to do a project like this, like this is no longer like you, okay. <laughs> it used to be in pieces, right? The fairgrounds is one thing, but we also talk about all these entities. It's you're going to the Pipkin building, you're going to the Coliseum, you're going to the Liberty Bowl, right? It's not a cohesive thing. Liberty Land. Really? Yeah, and Liberty Land back in the day. And so now uh if if it's looking to be a cohesive, more cohesive space, then it makes sense to brand it with an overall name. I don't particularly like Liberty Park. I just think it's kind of hokey. I do like the nostalgic like nod back to Liberty Land. I do appreciate that part because, you know, special place in my heart for Liberty Land, of course. But I think it's kind of hokey and definitely generic. But I, I see the purpose and I still think that the Coliseum will retain its identity. The Liberty Bowl will retain its identity. Uh, separate from this overall entity. And so I think that's fine. I'm not totally opposed to it. Now let's not talk about Pink Palace. I have strong feelings about that one. Right. <laughs> we won't touch that. That's an, that's, I would say that's another show, but it's not. Um, <laughs> but the, um, okay, well, yeah, actually I didn't never thought about it that way, but that's true. It is kind of pieces. There's the children's museum and then there's, um, it is sort of a collection of things. And to the extent that they can, gather them all under an umbrella. Actually, I think that makes sense. So, okay. Well, well, I'm glad the powers that be will be really happy that the Memphis metropolis has given <laughs> given it their seal of okayness, if not completely endorsing it. Uh, it's an endorsement of concepts. Uh, and we just will say that execution, they try. Right. Well, and <laughs> I think, kidding. well, of course, and of course, a lot of those things are decided by committee. And, you know, you've got to have something that appeals to everybody. Like, because this is not a unique, like, uh, so many cities have an uptown neighborhood, a midtown neighborhood. And um, those are not, yeah, yeah, lots of places are sort of guilty of that. Well, it, I mean, it's a totally passable name that 
absolutely passed a committee because no one can really get mad at it. Like you can't get mad at the right. It's a fine name. It'll work just fine. Well, and people are nostalgic. I, I went to Liberty land once or twice. Of course I didn't grow up here. So I wasn't a kid, but people are very nostalgic about even aside from the Pippin, um, the zip and Pippin people are very nostalgic about losing Liberty land. Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was huge. I mean, when the fair, I mean, that was the thing. You would go to the fair, you would get that free entrance into Liberty Land when you went to the fair, and it somehow made it all new and all magical again, even though you'd been to Liberty Land a million times when the fair wasn't there. It didn't matter. Um, you know, one time I rode the Zip and Pippin like 14 times in a row on a Tuesday. There was no one else there at the park. Wow. Just back to back rode it until I almost made myself sick. I mean, those are the everybody's got a memory. If you grew up here, you've got a memory from Liberty land. So yeah, it's definitely a point of nostalgia. So I do appreciate that nod in the name. I like, you know, when I heard it, I was like, I see what you did there city. (laughs) I see. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I've been talking to Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators, Cole's the editor of high ground news. So thank you so much for coming. I'm the metropolis again, Cole. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Talk to you later, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.